Thank you, Mark and Peggy. I am so looking forward to uh, the children sharing with us in worship in the coming week. And I know that Mark is working with a group of adults as well to, to bring some Christmas music to us. Uh, I love the sounds of the season. I love the sights as well. And I look, and uh, as he was singing that, I look down at Cheryl, who's holding little Hezekiah, and think about the little ones in our church. I think about Danielle. I think about Caitlin that are expecting. And it just kind of urges me to pray more for you guys as well uh, at this time of year. And I just want to thank um, Donna Fry. I want to thank all of you, really. Uh, the ladies had a luncheon, a brunch yesterday uh, that a lot of people just pitched in at the last minute to help uh, make a success. I want to thank you for that because Cheryl came home and told me a lot of good things about uh, what, what happened and what was shared there. And I appreciate that. Well, today, uh, we are starting a brand new series of Christmas messages this season, and I want to call it a casting call, stepping into the Christmas drama. Uh, and we want to look at some of the roles that God has asked uh, regular people, people like you and people like me, to play in that very first Christmas account. Uh, and then as I thought about it more and more, uh, Christmas is one of those times in our lives that it just seems to always be filled with some high drama. And, and I don't know about you, how many of you, you love stepping into uh, this time of year? You love Christmas, you love everything about it. I do. I, I think back to when I was a little kid with my ear pressed to the second floor floor, listening to what was happening down in the living room. Uh, then there was a sensation in my 20s and 30s, I think I lost, maybe in bitterness, maybe in growing up, a little bit of that, that wonder. Uh, then I had children. And it kind of resurfaced for me again, and, and uh, every year it just becomes more and more unique and special the way God blesses me. It helps me recognize the truth of, of Proverbs 13, 12, as I look forward to the, the joy of Christmas that hope deferred, you know, it makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I actually found myself in a store this past week doing some Christmas shopping, and, and those of you that know me, uh, if you know me well, you, you would be shocked by that because I don't like the press of crowds. I don't like the hype. I don't like the lines anywhere from uh, that Black Friday through Christmas. I don't I typically like to go anywhere near a mall or, or a store. And yet this time I was there. And I, I was by myself. I listened to some of the music. I even walked down the decorations aisle and I thought, just I love this time of year. Uh, this is the time of year I get to break out some of the hats I only get to wear this time of year. Uh, my Elmer Fudd hat, you know, those big ear flaps and stuff. And, and one of my favorite hats, my, my UK Santa hat. Uh, and now as Anita reminded me this morning, I can say ho, 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 because I've got the beard to go along with the Santa hat. Uh, every time I walk out of the house with that, I know Cheryl just kind of cringes and she thinks, Why? Why? Just don't tell them you're my husband. You know, I, but it's comfortable and I love it. And I love watching uh, my own kids this time of year as well. Uh, I think back to the, the times we decorate the house, which usually in, uh, consisted of me and Cheryl either climbing in the attic or going in the basement, pulling up boxes, and then just letting them have at it. You know, open the boxes, setting up the little Christmas village and everything. Uh, and it just takes me back. I remember. Growing up in Lexington with my mom and dad, even my little nephew Jack when I was growing up. And, and my mom had these ornaments that she kept, uh, really even to this day. One of them was a little jingle elf that had his knees held up. And I used to love to walk by the tree and shake that. And, and she had some felt apples on the tree, 
with little cutouts in them that these little bitty elves sat on. And my nephew and I loved those because we could take those things and we could wing them at each other. And they were made of felt, so they didn't really hurt that much. And, and as we're doing that, we could kind of make that intentional mistake of hitting a package or two and trying to get that little rip in the paper, you know, so we could see what we were getting for Christmas. Um, don't judge me, okay? I think what I love most about this, this time of year is the anticipation that just builds and builds. Growing up, one of the seniors in, in the, the church that I grew up in would pull out, and some of you grew up, you have one of those big family Bibles, about 50 pounds, you know, and, and they would have all the kids come sit on the steps, and they would open that Bible and read the Christmas story. And we would read about Mary and Joseph and, and the shepherds and the wise men and, and little Jesus born in a manger. And I always knew it was an important story. I always knew that it was more important than any of the gifts that I was going to get. I always knew the story was more important than the jingle elf on the tree or the apples. But if you were to pin me down and ask me what impact it made upon my life, there were times it would be a struggle. I could tell you all the details of the story. And yet, if you were to ask me what it currently means and how it matters in my life, in other words, how did what God did in a stable 2,000 years ago impact my present, it was a difficult thing to explain. What tangible difference does the manger mean to your life and mine today? And I think that question became more pronounced about 29 years ago when I became a preacher. And you see, every October, about mid-October, I start thinking, what am I going to preach this year for Christmas? What series can I get into? What can I say that hasn't been said before? What can I bring out of the scripture perhaps in a new light or, or with new illustrations to share the glory of Christmas with you? So the big idea of this series that, that I just want to share with you, and we're going to talk about this over the next couple of weeks together, is how God did a casting call of regular people like you and me into a role within the story that would change the world. And to me, that's just one of the incredible things about God. Think about all the ways that, that God could have sent Jesus to this earth. He didn't truly need Mary and Joseph. He didn't need shepherds. He didn't need wise men. But he chose to use them. In reality, God doesn't need you and me to continue his story, but he chooses us to be a part of what he is doing in this world. God wants to use our faith. He wants to use our availability, and he wants to use our courage, the courage of Christmas. And, and here's the thing. I found in my life that God doesn't just give you courage, but what he will do, and this is the first thing on your outline this morning, he develops our courage by placing us in circumstances that are beyond or that out of our control. If there's anything about the Christmas story, I, I think we catch that. He doesn't just give us our faith. He does something in us or around us to foster our faith by allowing us to go through some unexpected storms in this life. He doesn't just give it to us without inviting us into something. You see, he gives us a role to play in this unfolding narrative that he still continues to tell to the world today. And what God was asking of some of these ordinary people in the first Christmas story is he's asking them to demonstrate some faith, demonstrate some courage and trust when they had no idea 
what he was going to do. And two of the people that I think we first have to look at are Mary and Joseph. And so, if you've got your Bibles this morning, or if you have a Bible app on your phone, I still have trouble with that, but I want you to go to Luke, the first chapter. Luke chapter 1. And I want to look at the conversations that Mary and Joseph had. Now, I, I know this might be somewhat difficult for you to do because you've heard this story before, but I want you to imagine as if this is the first time you've ever heard it. And I want you to put yourself in Mary's sandals. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's sandals and think how you might have responded if you were there. It starts off in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth was, was Mary's cousin, she gave birth, of course, to John the Baptist, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, the first thing I guess I want you to see is that this is not just some list of random details. Luke isn't just giving us the names of people and places to make his story more interesting. Luke is saying through all of these things that this is very intentional. This has been prophesied hundreds of years before. In fact, over 400 years before in the book of Isaiah, we are told that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in the line of David at a specific time in history. And one of the things we need to learn about how God works in this story in our lives is that God is very intentional about our lives. Nothing about what God does here or in our lives is random. Now, Mary is just a a young lady. She couldn't have been more than 14 or 15 years of age. She is engaged to be married, but she's not fully married yet. You see, what would have happened is Joseph would have paid the bride's price to Mary's dad. That would have guaranteed their engagement in their marriage. And so, in some respects, they were already as good as married. But that time of engagement would last sometimes between one and two years before the actual wedding ceremony took place. Remember, this is a different time, it's a, it's a different era. And likely this, this marriage had been arranged by their families. She has no idea though, how her world is about to be turned upside down. Verse 28, Gabriel appeared to her and said, and I want you to notice how many exclamation points You know, if I was an English teacher, I would say, Gabriel, you overdid the exclamation points a little bit, but this is God's word. This is the inspired word of Scripture. He is one excited angel. Gabriel says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. Now, here's a question for you and me. What does the favor of God look like? You have found favor with God. What do you expect to hear when you you hear that? You found favor with God. So here you go. Enjoy an all-expense-paid vacation to the Caribbean. You know, you have found favor with God. Here's a gift card to cover all your bills. Take time. Go to your favorite spa. You know, pamper yourself. Live it up. Congratulations, you have found favor with God. But that's not what he said. And she couldn't have anticipated in a million years 
what he would say next. In verse 31, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son and you will name him, say it with me, Jesus. I'm sure at that moment, all of the blood drained out of Mary's face and her jaw drops to the ground and she said, excuse me, what did you say? Is that what the favor of God looks like? I mean, if that's God's favor, I don't want to know what it looks like when he's angry with me. And in verse 32, he goes on, and again, this excited angel says with even more excitement, he will be very great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, as excited as Gabriel is, something tells me that Mary's not quite as excited as he is. And I'm sure the anxiety is starting to well up in this young lady. And maybe the room begins to spin with this news and information and fear. It must have hit her like a tidal wave on an Alaskan beach. We know this is true because of her response. In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? And then she states the obvious, I am a virgin. Now I think there's a couple of, of ways you can look at this question. I don't think when Mary said, how can this happen? You know, I don't, I don't think she was struggling with the concept physiologically of a virgin birth. Because I, I believe, you know, if you believe God created this world, if you believe in all the miracles of the Old Testament and how he had a people for himself and, and led them through the Red Sea and more, if you believe that, I think God can handle this. So I don't think she's thinking about how can this be physiologically. I think she's asking this question as if it's all in capital letters. How can this happen? In other words, God, how could you let this happen to me? What are you doing? What good could come from this? Why are you choosing me and allowing my world to get flipped upside down? I just don't see it. But friends, God showers us with his favor, even though we fail to see it. And this is one of those details in the Christmas narrative that I've thought about so many times. Why a virgin birth? Why subject Mary to the potential embarrassment and shame why allow the son of, of a holy, pure God to be born to a couple who's technically still just engaged? Why not wait another six months for this period to be done and for them to be married? And some of you know this. It, it, we know in the Old Testament, there's been 400 years of silence between Malachi and the Old Testament and those gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New. And it's been silent that whole time. But they know for 400 years... The Messiah is coming. And, and Mary has to understand. I, I think she thinks I've got six more months left on this engagement. Can't we just wait it out? I mean, it would save my reputation. God, it would save so much embarrassment for me and shame. Joseph and I, I mean, God, we could get on our feet a little bit. I mean, we could get a place, get a little bit of money in our bank account. We could have this period of nesting, you know. Joseph could paint the, the little guy's room blue or something. And then we could welcome Jesus into the world. None of that. And I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it was prophesied before that Jesus would be born of a virgin. And why do you think that is? 
I believe it's because you had to have a way to identify the Messiah. How are you going to know out of all the baby boys being born at that time, which one is the one? It would be the one that came from a virgin birth. This is not Joseph's biological son. This is a child born of the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's so important is because he's the only one. The only one who could have the power, the position, and the authority to reconcile us back to God. You see, God knows what he's doing. And I think the angel could see all the fear, all the uncertainty upon Mary's face, which prompts him to say this to her in verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The reason I love that so much is he's not dismissing her fear. He's not criticizing her for a lack of faith and accepting this news. He's not telling her, you just need to trust a little bit more and get over it. He's saying, I know this is putting you in a difficult position. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. I want you to know you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that you are not forgotten by God and he's going to overshadow you. I'm just guessing this Christmas, I'm just guessing that there's somebody in this room right now who needs to know that. And you need to be reminded this Christmas season, you know, when I asked you a few moments ago, if you're excited about stepping into this season of Christmas, you were thinking, Bill, I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to get through this season. And I want you to hear this. When nobody understands what you're going through, God is with you. When you feel all alone, he's there. When you feel overwhelmed, he's with you. It's in the Christmas narrative. He has told this story before. He continues to tell it again. You see, Christmas reminds us that when we are overwhelmed, Emmanuel, God is with us. Going on in verse 35, the angel says, so the baby to be born will be holy which literally means he'll be set apart. And and we've talked about that before, but he says he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but now she's conceived a son, and she's now in her sixth month. And of course, he's talking about John the Baptist. And then we get to verse 37, and if you haven't underlined this in your scripture, if you haven't placed this in your heart, you need to do this. Verse 37, for the word of God will never fail. Translation, God knows what he's doing. You can trust him in the midst of the most uncertain circumstances. You see, his presence is worthy of our trust. His presence is worthy of our trust. Mary says in verse 38, she responds, I am, and how would you finish that? I'm furious. I'm I'm hot about this. Uh, I am so out. (laughs) I mean, if this is the way God works, find another young lady whose life you can mess up. I am, I'm going to ask you to go back to God, Gabriel, and see if there's not some other alternative plan that God has on the back burner that he can use. And you could not blame this young lady had she responded that way, but she doesn't. 
In fact, I love the way she responds with incredible faith. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. And it just gets me when she says, may it be to me exactly as you have said. May everything that you've said to me come true. I think I would have been frustrated, upset, maybe to say the least. I would have said, God, this is so unfair. Isn't there another way? But, but she's just moved to resolve in her faith. And the question that puts in front of me that I want to place in front of you this morning is, where does a young lady get that kind of strength? Where does a young lady get that kind of heart to respond that way? That her mindset and her spirit led her to so boldly say to the angel, may everything you've said about me come true. You know, I wrote it on a board when I was younger. I carried it around on a Bible cover. I had it on a coffee mug. But I think she's living out one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 40, 28. It says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. But he will give strength to the weary and the tired. Anybody there today? He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. That's where she gets her strength from. Now Joseph is facing a very similar situation. If you want to flip on back to Matthew, the first chapter with me now. In Matthew chapter 1, In just a few verses, it says in verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. And he did not want to subject her to public disgrace. And so he decided to break the engagement quickly. He hears the news. He hears the information. And think about it for a minute. His, his response is the response of a heartbroken man. His initial response is, is that she had been unfaithful to him. And the Old Testament law was very clear of what could happen in this case. Mary would be taken out and stoned to death, put to death by the elders of the town. Or he could give her a certificate of divorce and, and send her away quietly. He loved her so much, he did not want her to die. And so imagine how heartbreaking it was to even come to the conclusion, I'll just send her away, I'll, I'll walk away. Joseph didn't want any of that to happen to her, and he was willing to, to bow out and to fade into the background. In verse 20, it says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, she hasn't been unfaithful to you. And she'll have a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. In other words, this is all part of God's big, big plan. Verse 22, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will be with child and she'll give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, the Bible says it, he didn't say, you know, I need to stop eating microwave burritos at night it's so late. That's not what he says, okay? It says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and he took Mary home as his wife. No words, no questions, no investigations. 
No, are, are you for sure? Verse 25, it goes on to say, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. And once again, I ask the question, where did this guy get that kind of strength? Where did he get the mindset to accept the circumstances that God was putting within his life? He didn't have all the answers. He, he, he was, you know, I'm going to do what the angel told me to do. You know what Joseph's occupation was, right? What was he? He's, he's a carpenter. And, and I've met a few carpenters in my time. Mr. Bogard's a, he, he's a, he's a master woodworker. And if there's one thing I know about carpenters, you measure twice, you cut once. Carpenters like to work from a blueprint. They love details. They like knowing how things work by the book. And I imagine Joseph was that kind of guy. And now he finds himself in a situation with no blueprint. He finds himself in a situation where he has to just simply trust what the angel of the Lord had said to him. And a couple of years ago, I was reading about the stress scale that I've shared with you before that a couple of doctors set out. And, and they said with all these events in a person's life, uh, one, what, all these different things that cause stress, uh, let's give them numerical value. And these numerical values, they called them LCUs or, or life change units. And so when these changes take place in our life, what they do is they add up these numbers. If you've got a separation or a divorce in your life, it's worth 65 points. You add a new family member, 39 points. Uh, a change in your finances, 38 points. Job loss, 45 points. Difficulty with the in-laws, 29 points. That seems kind of low to me, but, but not with my, no, I'm just kidding. Pregnancy, 40 points. And you get the idea. And they add up these numbers. And they said if you can get to 300, or it's over 300, you are at a significant risk for an emotional breakdown. You're at a greater risk for health problems. Uh, you're not going to sleep well at night. And you just get the idea. And if you were to add up all the things that the angels had said to Mary and Joseph, these life change units, it was well over 400. Now at 300, you're at risk for an emotional breakdown, and, and I'm guessing it was probably more than 400, really. But here's the thing, they sure don't act like it. This, this young couple, they're not worried. They might be concerned, but they don't freak out. They, they don't get emotional. They don't yell. They don't scream. Their reputations are on the line. Think about who in their family is going to believe their story. What are the neighbors going to think about them? Can you imagine how, if social media existed in the first century, they would have been massacred on Facebook. Uh, I mean, nobody would have given them the benefit of the doubt. Their relationships were at work, not just with one another, but Joseph as a carpenter, all of his business contacts would have been at risk. All of, all of their friends, they would have also been questioning. And they had all these plans. And if that was us, we would think, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? How are we going to support a child? Mary and Joseph, they're just poor peasants. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see how they went to dedicate Jesus at the temple. They can't even afford the normal sacrifice. All they can bring are two doves. It's the sacrifice of someone who is poor. They're, they're not ready to be parents yet. I've had two kids, and one of them is still a teenager. And I think, you know, as much as I wanted children, 
there were so many things that I didn't plan on with those kids and, and what it would be like to sit in the ER with them or to sit in an oxygen tent when they struggle with their health in this world. I, I didn't plan on the struggles they would have relationally as, as teenage girls or, or growing up and the stresses that young people are just bombarded with today. And they went through all the stress at such a young age. And it would say, I'm not qualified for it. And yet, they had the attitude throughout scriptures that God, here I am. Use me. This last point on your outline, that is that God's plan for them and for us, it's worthy. It's worthy of our life. It's worthy of our hope. It's worthy of our all. You know, there really is something powerful in our availability. I'm just wondering now, as we get ready to close out 2018, uh, you know, we look back at 2017 and what a difficult year it was. Well, 2018 has been more so, hasn't it? I mean, we just see the myriad of issues that are in the news and the instability that's going on all around the world. You take all that and you throw in the details of your individual life, I'm confident that some of you are facing some uncertainty in your life right now. And there are some things for you, you're not sure what's right around the corner. Anybody here feel a little gun shy this morning? Because you thought things were going pretty well and then all of a sudden you woke up one morning and you heard. Or the news came by an email or a phone call that was like a grenade dropped into your midst. Or somebody stepped into your office or, or your classroom or your life and they had a conversation with you that just flipped your world upside down. You never saw it coming. And now you're living a little bit of a, a tentative life. I'm just willing to bet that somebody's listening to me right now and you're saying, my story doesn't make sense. I had at least a little bit of this all laid out, and now it's all messed up. So where is God now? And what is God doing? And why would God ever allow that? And here's the thing, fear doesn't just come up. It doesn't just happen. It's part of an equation, and here it is. A heightened sense of vulnerability plus a diminished sense of power equals fear. A heightened vulnerability, diminishing control, equals fear, and it's being played out in Mary and Joseph's life, and we can feel it. You could almost palpitate it in the air this time of year. It's easy to come to church on the weekends. It's easy to, to sing the carols of the year and see the decorations and wear the, the ugly Christmas sweaters and ties, right? And we plaster this look on our face like everything is okay, but can I ask you to be vulnerable and just say, how are you doing right now? How you, and I don't want you to say, I'm totally fine. <laughs> I mean, if you are, praise the Lord, just as long as you're being honest about it. But do you ever feel like God is just messing up your plans and asking you to do something that you don't understand and it leaves you with a list of questions? Like, how am I gonna get out of this? I mean, and I'm not quite sure what to do next. I don't know how to fix this. You know, God, you threw me a curveball and allowing this to come into my life. I didn't see it coming. And here's the thing that I want to remind you of. God was faithful to Mary and Joseph. He'll be faithful to you. 
The story of Christmas that was once told of God entering this world to be with us reminds us we're not forgotten. We're not alone. He is right now as we speak orchestrating the details of your story so that at just the right time he will breathe into you courage and faith and, and, and his glory will be purposeful and complete. He's done it before. He will do it again. If I could share with you the encouragement that Peter gave in 1 Peter 4.12, he said, dear friends, he's encouraging us. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. I mean, is anybody with me this morning, honestly? I mean, you get bad news and you struggle and it's strange and you feel like your world is flipped. Verse 19, he says, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, you keep on doing what's right. Trust your lives to the God who created you and he will never fail you. It's difficult to face the changes in this life. But Mary and Joseph found the faith, the courage, and the strength to be used by God in God's way. And that's the essence of the Christmas story itself. I mean, think about this. A God who would selflessly remove his crown of gold to put on a crown of thorns. A God who would remove his heavenly robes so that one day he would wear the rags of a carpenter's son. The creator of the universe willing to lower himself to the most vulnerable thing imaginable in this world. A helpless baby. And he did that for you and for me. You see, God asked his son to humble himself, and Jesus did. And in essence, Jesus turned this world upside down. You know, I was thinking this past week with the loss, and if you couldn't tell by my prayer request, I, I respected George Herbert Walker Bush as our president. But I got to thinking about the qualities. What makes a great leader? And you could come up with all kinds of things if you listed them out. You know, somebody that's trustworthy, uh, somebody that has integrity, somebody that's fair, somebody that's transparent, has some wisdom. There's a whole bunch of things that make a good leader, but one of the things that, that I admire is a good leader will never ask you to do something they're not willing to do themselves. And you know, God is the best leader. He's asking Mary and Joseph to sacrifice a lot. He's asking them to put their reputation on their line, putting their, their welfare at risk, but listen, he's not asking them to sacrifice or to give up anything that he hasn't far outmatched himself. We don't often turn to the book of Philippians at Christmas time, and here we are now after IAH. Uh, we're doing it twice before Christmas. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Although he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to be clung to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's the Christmas story in Philippians. That's what Jesus did. He humbled himself so that you and I could be reconciled back into a relationship with him. A God who gave up his life so that we might have life through him. And he invites us to be with him in what he is doing in this world. Do you want to change this world? Do you want to change your life and see this life changed? It, it means being available to God. And then it also means this last thing. It, it means being comfortable with these four words. It's not about me.
It's not about me. You see, Mary and Joseph would be compelled to say, God, may everything you say about me come true. And God, there are times I'm not going to like this. There are times it's going to be painful. Nobody wants to go 90 miles on the back of a donkey being pregnant, waiting to give birth in a, in a place where you don't have room reservations, in, in a stable, in a filthy place of, of animals with your child. This is going to be painful. It's going to cost me something. I know I'm going to have to make sacrifices, but you know what? It's not about me. <laughs> anyway, there is so much power for a believer in those four little words. Now, I'm not saying you're not important, and I'm not saying you're not loved, because you are loved more than you will ever know, and you are more important to God than you will ever be to yourself or to anybody in this room or on this earth. But friends, if you live for yourself as if something in this world is about you, that's a pretty miserable way to live. There are people, in my experience, that live this life with a tunnel vision that think they're the main character in their movie of their life. They're their own captain of their soul. And that everybody around them, they're just the supporting cast. And whatever they do, it's, it's, it's got to be for me. And it's not the first time you've heard that. But if you live your life with that kind of tunnel vision, if you start feeling sorry for yourself, if you start focusing too much on you, you're going to be miserable real quick, and you're going to miss the glory of Christmas. You know, this morning, we're going to come together in this time of, of communion as well. And we make a conscious decision to begin at the bottom. Because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as our worship team comes up to lead us in that, in that communion song, I'm going to ask today that you hang on to those elements. And I want to do it as a family together today. I'll lead you when to, to take the cup and the bread. But friends, I want you to recognize this morning what C.S. Lewis said a long time ago when he said this. Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than our whole world. See, communion's a reminder. Christmas is a reminder that it's not about me, but it's about the bigness of God. It's about the greatness of God over any circumstance in my life and the recognition, recognition that his power and his position are worthy of my all and all. So I want you to reflect on the manger. I want you to reflect on who Jesus is and, and what he's done for you. God wants to tell his story once again through you. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come once again at the start of this Christmas season just to step up to step up to the manger and behold the face of one who would lay his glory aside. A glory that he owned, that he deserved every ounce of it. A glory that belonged to him. But it was a glory he would not hold on to if it meant losing us. And Father, as we come to this table and the simple emblems that are here, they're as simple as a stable. They're as simple as a manger. They're as simple as a bed of straw and swaddling cloths. But the depth of meaning within flesh and blood 
means that we can never say, God, you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. You've never been where I've... Because you have. You walk where we walk. You bled where we bleed. You faced our greatest enemy. And you came forth victoriously. And we worship you at this table. In Jesus' name.